This Augusta Golf Show podcast is brought to you by Audi Augusta, online at AudiAugusta.com. Well, Peter Kessler is the voice of golf. You know him from his Golf Talk Live programs on Golf Channel, Sirius XM, shows on the PGA Tour Network. It's always great to welcome Peter Kessler back to the Augusta Golf Show. How are you, Peter? Well, I'm glad I finally bubbled to the surface of your list again. I, I, I was getting old, and I was starting to forget things, and I went, but I haven't heard from John, who can set everything straight. So I'm really glad to be with you, and I, I, I know that things are good with you, and I'm just super delighted to hear from you today. Thank you very much. You stole my thunder. I was going to ask you, where have you been? We'd have, we'd have talked about the players. We'd have talked about the Masters. We'd have talked about the PGA. Um, well, when, how- when Bryce, well, of course, you obviously missed this year's Masters, and you know when Bryson was able to drive the 18th green, uh. you know, from 435 yards going straight over the trees on the right. I, uh, I knew that we had reached the 900 foot home run stage in golf and that for sure. And evermore, the equipment will never fit the field of play. One of the best things I've heard in the last couple of weeks is should Bryson win the masters, the champions dinner will be a buffet. I saw that too. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it's funny because the these COVID jokes are not funny. You know, and mm-hmm. and and buffets are going to go; they're going to disappear largely because people are going to be afraid to put their hands in and sure. grab the implements that other people have used, and they're crowded in line. So, you know, this is like last call buffet summer. Um, and and I tell you, I find him so uninteresting. I think the thing that he's becoming known for, these prodigious drives, is just a bore. I mean, you're good friends with Jack Nicholas. I know Jack has told you because we've discussed this. You know, Jack said that power used to be 20% of the game, and now he said it's 80% of the game. And he said it just doesn't make any sense anymore. And he said, you know, the only kind of distance that's interesting is when, when, when it's relative distance, when... I'm a little longer than you and I could get to the par five and two maybe, and you can't. He said, that's relative distance. He said, but being able to hit a drive and then a short iron into a par five, he said, well, that's absolute and unbridled uh, power. And, uh, and he said, and, and that's no longer good for the game. You know, and he, Jack said that he first noticed the problem with the golf ball in 1982, which is true because in the seventies, that's when the scientists started to try to figure out how to manipulate the cover design for longer carry. And then in 82, Titleist came out with a 384 ball, and Jack went to the USGA and said, this ball it is way too easy to hit, and you're headed down the wrong road. You know, and look, you know, it's almost 40 years later, and he's still saying the same things, and they're still right. Because, you know, from 93 to 03, average driving distance went up 10% or 27 yards on tour. And from 03 through today, it's gone up another 10%. So it's another 27 yards from 1993. So we're up to 60 yards increase in distance with drivers just because of the equipment that the manufacturers have been able to build, which inside of the rules of golf, they've been able to take advantage of to the extent that it doesn't make any sense anymore, and you can't tell with the naked eye the difference between 280 yards and 320 in the air. 
when I used to watch Jack at La Costa in San Diego in the 70s when I lived there, and I sat right next to him on the practice team, there's nobody there, you could see the entire drive, right? Just like you can see your own, you could follow the whole thing. Mm -hmm. But when I saw Tiger hit 97, I couldn't pick his drive up till the apex, and you can't pick up anybody's drive now until the apex because the ball speeds so fast. And then once it hits the apex, you can't see it continue to carry and fall. So the long ball, chicks did the long ball thing is complete nonsense because even if you're standing there, you can't see it. So what is the point other than watching three numbers on TV? Bryson just hit this 370, and he's got a little chip to what used to be a driver in five iron par four. So it's it, all of it just continues to point out the problems with the equipment. If you can do things to your body and increase your speed, to have disproportionate absolute distance, it's not good for the game. You know, you mentioned the pandemic. You mentioned COVID. How do you think professional golf is navigating all of this? Well, I think they're they're trying, but I think they're more trying to save the PR and money-making machine. I think they tried to get the social distancing right lately, but we already had close to a half a dozen pros now um, who Cameron Champ and Nick Watney and, you know, they were all hanging out together. So there's going to be a lot of, and somebody's caddy today, uh, uh, Graham McDowell's mm-hmm. caddy, so Graham dropped out. So clearly it's not working because if with doing everything that they can to try to make it safe and people are already coming down with cases and with the memorial scheduled to have fans i can't imagine how that's going to work and i think i mean you know everybody wants to see golf everybody wants to play but you know it's like almost like when it's raining outside you got to wait 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 for the hard rain to stop the the hard rain is falling right now and it's and and it's this it's this disease and it's the fabric of the economy right now and all of the uh, racial issues and tensions and the whole business, especially, you know, in the Southeast where you are, this whole rage against Confederate statues or, or previous slave owners, and these things are being toppled, you know, everywhere. And while it's the right trend, things have gotten a little out of hand, but it's a very complicated time. You know, as Charles Dickens wrote, it's the best of times, it's the worst of times. It's kind of one of those worst of times situations we're right now. And I personally, I think they should call it off. I don't think they should do anything until the end of the summer when there's a good chance at least we have a handle on our numbers and what we can do to continue to be safe. I don't see the rush, and uh, and I, but I really like having no spectators. I don't miss the noise. Mm-hmm. I don't need the noise. I don't need to hear the echoes through the pines on the last few holes at Augusta. I need, I need to hear it in my own head. I can cheer in my own head. I don't want to hear somebody say Baba Booey, all that crazy stuff. So I, I think at the Masters, the winning score will be higher if they don't have any any uh, fans or patrons, as they like to call them, because there's no patrons to stop the golf balls on the edges anymore. So things that go over the green where eventually it would hit somebody will now go 25 yards past there. So I like that. You're not going to have, you know, it's like having, you know, those bumpers. If you go bowling for a five-year-old where you can't go in the gutter. I mean, you know, that's the way the whole thing is set up now. So I, uh, I'm i I'm unhappy about where it looks like it's headed, which to me is trouble. And I'm extremely unhappy that they're not taking this time to take a good hard look at the equipment, particularly in light of, 
what today's focus is, which is Bryson DeChambeau and his driver. That's just not supposed to be supposed to be part of your game. Twenty percent, not all of it. Can Can you envision Peter? Um, all right, NASCAR is back. Golf is coming back. Uh, baseball is on the schedule. Uh, NBA could be. Can you envision a situation where one of these sports has to has to shut it down, and then oh my gosh, then everybody is not going to do it? Well, I I think you know. I mean, right now they're trying to you know play basketball out of you know right. Orlando, you know, and everybody's quarantined and all of that stuff. And but and I I don't have a problem with no fans. Now they're going to have a problem without fans because because of the money that it brings in and the concessions and all of the other stuff that all these people are out of jobs now. Who used to sell the hot dogs and the coke, and that's a shame. Um. But I would not have a problem if they basically killed all schedules until we really know near the end of the year, which is the biggest guess I'll take as a layman who's not a scientist that perhaps in four or five months we'll be at a point where those things are manageable, where you figured out how many people you could actually have come into an arena or a football stadium. Uh, but I think the golf tournament's going to be the hardest because that's the one where you're not in the seat. You know, everywhere else, at least you're in a seat. They could give, make it every other seat. You know, there's things they can do to manipulate the way that people sit, but there's no manipulating social distance. You know, think about the Masters, that the crowds always, you know, follow the leaders. So by the time they get to 13, all of the fans are just on those last six holes. And that's why partially the noise echoes, because everybody's there. And when I first went there in 94, I would estimate that the number of tickets they sell for the Masters through last year when I went is five times, 500% more people. When Winnie and I went with Arnold in 1995 to Augusta National to watch him play his last major, last Masters as a competitor, Winnie and I walked all 36 holes with him. We saw every single shot. There's nobody there. You could walk right up to the ropes. You could get a position around the green. We didn't have to say it's Mrs. Palmer. When we walked up 18, I distinctly remember we walked up 18. We weren't near the rope, but we could still see Arnold play his shots. It's, and, as you know better than anybody living there, the thing is built on the side of a hill. So you would think you'd have to sell half the amount of tickets because you have to be on the high side of the green, on the high side of the fairway, to be able to see down and see the play. So all of the people are always on the high side. So if you're selling five times as many tickets... Everybody's on the high side of the hole because you can't see from below it if you're on the bottom part of the hill. Then you have a situation where you're 40 and 50 deep. So they completely let that get away, you know, to take in more money, you know. And my best evidence, I watched Arnold play all 36 holes and I never had to strain per view, and I'm with his wife. So I just don't see how they're going to do that with fans. I don't see golf with fans in any way. Unless it's bleachers only and there's little white circles sit here, you know, and six feet away, six here. And people aren't going to do that because it's a family thing and people want to be closer. So it's very, it, it, it's hugely problematic right now. There's no controlling people who access a golf course to watch golf right now. If we do get these three major championships in. Are there asterisks? Will will historians look back on the 2020 majors in some different way? I don't think so. I don't think it matters when it occurs. You know, just like uh, the Babe Ruth Roger Maris thing. You know, 
the Babe hit his 60 home runs in 154 game season. Roger hit 61 in 162 game season. You know, you most you know anybody over 40 who loves baseball and knows enough about it to know knows that you know Babe Ruth was the you know the quintessential player. And uh, so, yeah, I just I, I think it's 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 problems across the board right now. And uh, I think that um, I think that I think that things are going to change. And I think people will get used to not seeing fans. But, you know, if it goes into the next calendar year, then you're in a position where the revenue considerations and budget considerations could overwhelm the very existence of certain sports for sure. This um, this is a little inside baseball, and and to those who don't pay as much attention to it as as others, I apologize a little bit, but I'm just kind of curious with your history. Um, announced massive layoffs at Golf Channel. Things are changing. Um, what do you make of all that? Well, you know, it's it, the, the irony of the timing of the Golf Channel announcing a couple of days ago that they're basically letting everybody go at the end of the summer with my simultaneous announcement that I'm working on building a new Golf Channel uh, actually troubled me because I didn't want to be out there saying something great's going on when the thing that Arnold and I built originally is, is in a position where so many people are going to be hurt. And again, the Dickens reference in this very worst of times. So I was very, very sad because it was our baby. But from a professional point of view, I could easily see why it went under because there wasn't really a product. It's almost since I left, they've never done anything well. And Arnold wouldn't be pleased, but he would sure be as I am. Feel very sorry for all the people who are going to be laid off with nowhere to go in a shrinking you know, media industry. Look what's happening to journalists. Look how many guys are on the sideline are doing stuff they wouldn't have thought to do ever twenty years ago. So, you know, the the, the, the landscape is changing, and I I feel very badly uh, for, for the people at the Golf Channel who have families here and know that they're not going to Connecticut where the Golf Channel. And a skeleton crew are going to find themselves up there in NBC headquarters. Who owns the Golf Channel? So it's it, it it's sad, and I'm trying to be very careful about my own tweets to you know to to to, to, to not trumpet anything, but rather just say, look, this is a casting call, which is what I've done, and I got over 1,200 emails in 48 hours asking for a job, and I said include a demo. Maybe 300 people didn't include a demo. It sent things like, give me a call, let's talk, and it'll only take five minutes, and I don't know who it is. And I write back and say, please send a demo. And people direct message. It's just amazing. I I find, John, that the older I get, Uh more unreliable people who are younger and have responsibilities to fulfill something in a contract or just take care of their end or send the appropriate email very, very difficult. And when you add it to this environment now where businesses have either reduced their sales force or people are at home they're, or in their workforce, so people are working out of their homes, universal executives who are trying to set up marketing deals are stuck at home and they're trying to reopen the universal park. Very tricky time to be out of work. 
Yeah. Let's let me come full circle here before I let you go. We started by, you know, wondering where you've been during this pandemic and how come you haven't been on the show. So I there's no way, Peter, that I see you sitting in front of a television, sitting in front of Netflix, binging on 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 some sort of series. You didn't do any of that, did you? No, I don't watch television and uh, very, very rarely. Uh, do I? And really, the only thing that I do do with my TV really is I record old movies from Turner, Turner Classic Movie Station, you know, things in the 30s and 40s. Those were the things that would really influence the personalities that I, I took on TV. But no, I don't watch any TV. I could maybe the last series I watched was Dexter, which ended 10 years ago. Uh, I don't watch anything at all. I don't even really understand. I don't even know how Netflix actually even works. And uh, so, no, I did not do any of that at all. And I was used to being home. Yeah. So I, you know, and I have a lot of hobbies, and I and I find I like my own company, and so I wasn't uncomfortable with that. And then you know the Golf Tips magazine thing came along, and I'm writing the cover stories, and now this new, you know, a, a golf uh, web platform has come along. So I've been super duper busy and I'm doing like 16 hour days. And uh, I, I found uh, so far three women uh, that w- we want to take on for this venture who are already collaborating and talking about, you know, what should the logo look like and what kind of shirts do we get in this short time? And they all have incredibly good pedigrees and they're young women. I've had my day. I want to train the superstars of tomorrow. I don't need to be the star anymore. I, I, I had plenty of that, and it was fantastic. But not important to me now. I'll do I'll do shows for this new, new platform. But really, this is a people skill job, and getting really great people to work with you who really like working with you, and you have to treat them. In a, if you're a star, you can get away with being a jerk sometimes. If you're the executive producer, you can't get away with it at any time. So. It's bringing out the very best of Peter Kessler right now in a position where I'm not the star. So it's ironic to me and very, very self-fulfilling. And it's kind of like my pockets are bulging with the coins of self-satisfaction right now. Okay, before I let you go, and, and maybe you don't know the answer to this, you're in the construction phase. When, when Is there a timeline for when we might be seeing something? Sure. Yes, of course. So the idea would be to launch at Christmas, a month before the PGA show to be loading up the site with content now to take these three young women and and a couple of guys that I'll find. And over the course of the summer, we'll shoot a bunch of 60 and 90 and two minute pieces to tease the coming of the network. But it's going to be more than high on, you know, uh, uh, you know, Peter Kessler for, for, for I golf. And I hope you watch, I'm not going to do any of them. I'm going to have these young people do it. And they're going to be little self-contained shows that give you a real sense that these people are sharp, they are knowledgeable, that women are sexy, that they're not bimbo-y. And, uh, I, and so I'm going to lead the charge with the people that I want to turn into stars, all of whom have the stuff and all of whom know they need me to help them to get to where they want to go. And Fortunately, they all knew somebody who was a famous professional golfer who all basically said to them, if you don't do this, it'll be the most foolish thing you've ever done with your life, that there's nobody that you could learn from who knows more about how to do 
hosting and being on TV than Peter Kessler, and nobody knows more about golf. And so when I spoke to the three women, the first thing they said was, well, I talked to Jerry Kelly, or I talked to Jerry Pate, or I talked to Jack Nicklaus, and they all said, it's the greatest opportunity in the history of the world if you can work with him. And so they all said, I'm in before I even interviewed him. So, you know, I, so my, my background helped, and they, they happen to be friends with, with people that, that you know, know what the deal is. So it, I'm just having the time of my life, and, uh, and I'm being careful. I'm making sure everybody I hire has a baby so that I won't find myself interested because they're all so attractive. Okay, fine. I did. I, all right. He's Peter Kessler. Um, I couldn't be happier for you. I, I can't wait to see the product. I can't wait to see when this manifests itself. Uh, Peter, uh, thank you for, for taking the time to do this. It, it's been great. And I'm glad you weren't sitting around watching Tiger King on Netflix or something. No, you know what? And I don't know if it's animated or not. That's what I know about it. Nothing. (laughs) Thank you, sir.